So first of all, um, thanks to Chris last week stepping in. I was supposed to be preaching last week. As some of you gathered, I knackered my back playing football, which Debbie was delighted about. Um, and actually, the first morning after I did it, I realized I wasn't going to be able to go to work, and I sat at home, and I thought, well, I'm preaching on Sunday. I might as well use the time to write a bit of my preach. So I sat down and wrote some preach with a bad back, with quite a lot of codeine in my system. Um, and then Chris rang me on Friday, like the Friday before, and said, look, how's the preach? Are you going to be able to, are you gonna be able to preach? I'm still pretty full of codeine at that point. I was like, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I've got something written. I, I wrote it on Wednesday. He's like, okay, what's it about? I was like, can't remember. <laughs> 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 I literally had this silence down the road. Chris was wetting himself laughing. He's like, how, mu- how much codeine have you, <laughs> have you taken? <laughs> so we agreed it was probably best for me not, not to preach <laughs> on that occasion. Um, so... Uh, I'm not f- so full of codeine now, you'll be glad to know. But if the preach is really bad, we'll blame the drugs. If it's really good, there's a chance I might be banned from preaching for a year for using performance-enhancing drugs. <laughs> so I'm going to try and hit a middle level so it's not too, uh, not too good or not too bad. So bear with me. Um, what am I speaking on? Where's my clicker? There it is. Right. I do know what I'm speaking on. Um, so we've been in our, uh, our series on looking at uh, who do I say I am? Jesus' I am sayings. And we've covered six of these different statements so far that Jesus made about himself. We started with the bread of life. We've done the light of the world. We've done the gate for the sheep, the good shepherd. We've done the way, the truth, and the life, uh, which Tor did a couple of weeks ago. And we've done the true vine. We've missed out so far the resurrection and life. We're saving that for next week. the week before Easter. We thought it would be great to lead into Easter, really focusing on the resurrection. What I'm doing today is slightly different because we're going to look at a wider issue rather than one of these specific statements. And we're going to look at the fact that Jesus tells us, and the Bible tells us, that Jesus is God himself in human form. Essentially, Jesus tells us that I am the I am. And we touched on this a little bit in the first preach of the series when I introduced the series. So I'll give a very, very brief recap on what we mean by I am the I am. So if you remember that I am is the name that God gives himself in the Old Testament, isn't it? Remember in Exodus 3, we've got Moses meeting with God, and God sends Moses to Pharaoh to tell, and he says, you've got to go and tell Pharaoh that the God of Israel has ordered that you, set, you let my people go, you set my people free. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt at the time. And Moses says, look, what, what if they ask your name? It's all very well me saying the God of Israel has sent me, but what if they say, who's the God of Israel? What's his name? What do I tell them? And God's response uh, in Exodus 3.14 is, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So God's name for himself is I am. In Hebrew, that's Yahweh. And over the centuries, you see the, the Hebrew up there the, at, the, at the bottom. Um, over the centuries, that name has just been regarded as so sacred that in the, in the Jewish uh, culture, they would not even write it or say it in full. They would use an abbreviation or they wouldn't speak it. Because it's, it's, ho- it's, it's the holy name of God. Too holy for us to say. And God, we talked about that God shows this name because it reveals the most important thing about God. That he exists. He is. I am. God is real. I'm here. And that underpins everything, doesn't it? Our whole faith 
and our existence depends on whether we believe that God exists or not. And God's answer is a resounding, yes, I am. I'm here. I exist. It's a confirmation. And knowing that God is should just be a tremendous source of joy and hope and comfort. It's not a fairy tale. He's not a figment of our imagination. And so Jesus then, in his I am sayings, that becomes hugely significant. Because throughout his ministry, Jesus encounters people who want to know who he is. Who is this guy doing all these miracles, doing all this teaching? Where is he getting this authority from? How can he do this? Is he a great teacher or just a prophet? Or is he more than that? Is he a hoax? Is, is he who he says he is? And Jesus' statements very clearly and cleverly and provocatively let people know that he is something different. He's not simply an ordinary man. He is God himself in human form. He is the I am. In the Greek, the I am is translated as the ego emai. And that is huge news. Because if God being called I am tells us that he exists, then Jesus talking about himself as I am tells us something even more amazing, that God came to earth. God came to earth as a human being, not in some weird alien form, not as some spirit or ghost, not as a, a demigod like Maui in Moana, if anyone's seen that. He's not that sort of demigod, sort of uh, half human, half God. He was fully God, which is incredible. And that's what I really want to explore more this morning. We're going to start by reading John 1 together. If you turn your Bibles to John 1, Gospel of John, we're going to read that together. I'm going to read it from my nice manly Bible, which everyone likes to insult. It's salmon, not pink. It's not pink. Um, So John 1, we'll read it to, to verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And get this, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Let me just pray before we go any further. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your scripture, Lord. We thank you for the Gospel of John, Lord, and all that it tells us about the amazing things that you've done. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the I am who came to earth. And Lord, will you speak to our hearts this morning? Will you tell us what you want us to, what you want us to hear? Will you minister to us this morning as I speak? And will you bless, bless me as I, as I bring this word? 
on them. Okay, so let's explore this further. We've read John 1, 1 to 14. What does it mean for Jesus to be God? Well, the Christian belief, our belief is that Jesus is both 100% God and 100% human. And if you know maths, which to be honest, I don't very well, but even I know that 100% and 100% equals 200%. And how can that be true? It's impossible, isn't it? Well, the simple answer is not if you're God. Not if you're God. Normal rules don't apply with God. He's a God who's over and above mathematics, over, over and above percentages. He's the God who can create life, who can roll back the seas, who can heal the sick and raise the dead, who can make donkeys talk. Nothing is impossible for him. But let's not miss the significance of this. The idea that God became human, the truth that he became human. The God the unseen, God the heavenly spirit, the heavenly father, became human like you and me. Jesus lived and breathed and died and rose as a human being. As real as you and I in this room this morning. And as Christians, we like to give important things like this, big scary names. And in this instance, we call it incarnation. You heard that word before? It's often, we often talk about it at Christmas. The passage I read is one of the ones we read at Christmas a lot. We call it incarnation. And its roots are in Latin. So carne in Latin means flesh or meat. So to incarnate is to become or to put on flesh. I don't know if anyone remembers Lady Gaga uh, at an award ceremony. She came to an award ceremony, literally, I don't know if you can see from there. Literally, she came in a dress made of raw beef. That whole dress, including the shoes, and I apologise to the vegetarians among you, and the vegans among you, but that whole dress and the shoes and the handbag were made of raw beef. She put on flesh, quite literally, and came dressed as that. And I toyed with whether to put that image up. I thought it might be not very nice to the vegetarians. I do apologise. It might also be a bit too risque. She's got a very short skirt on, but frankly, if you're attracted to a woman covered in raw beef, then you've got bigger problems. Um, LAUGHTER Anyway, this Lady Gaga, I'll take that image off now. What she did is absolutely nothing like what Jesus did. <laughs> Just so you know, Jesus did not come down wearing a meat dress, okay? Verse 14 of John 1, it tells us Jesus didn't just put on flesh. He, what does it say? He became flesh and he made his dwelling amongst us. He literally became 100% human. He was skinned and bones and teeth and hair. He had morning breath. He did wheeze and poos. He had fingernails. He had bogeys. He probably had a bad back at some point. He was a carpenter. He probably did a lot of heavy lifting. I can imagine he had a bad back at some point. Jesus was absolutely human. And he didn't look any different to any human. In fact, that, that image there is what historians and scientists have put together is what they think Jesus might have looked like. That's what they think a, a Palestinian Jew would have looked like around that time. That's obviously not Jesus himself, but it's an idea of what he might have looked like. He didn't walk around with a funny glow. He didn't have a halo above his head. He didn't look like some of the impressionists and the, the, the painters have painted him to be this sort of white, blue-eyed guy with a long, flowing beard, like me, you know. Um, he looked, he would have just fitted in with his normal surroundings. He was human in that time. And that's important for us. Because in order to save humanity, he had to become human. 
He had to get stuck in and live as we live. And we'll unpack that more later. But for us, Jesus is the absolute perfect pattern for our human lives. He's almost like a how-to guide for living a life pleasing to God. You know, every single one of us, the Bible says, since creation onwards, all of us, all of us have found it impossible to live human life in a manner that is pleasing to God. You know that? Not a single one of us in this room can say, I've lived a life that pleases God. I've lived a life that fulfills everything that God has asked. I've lived a life that is perfect. Not one of us can say that. And it can't be done. The Bible tells us. And we're left asking, how God, how on earth can we possibly live the life that you want us to live? What does it look like to live human life like you ask us to? Like in line with, with your gospel, in line with, with your commandments. In a way that blesses me and you. In a way that blesses humanity around, you, around us. How do we live right with you, God? And God answers emphatically, let me flesh that out for you. See what I did there? Let me flesh that out for you. He sends Jesus. He sends Jesus to show us exactly what to do. God says, you know, I want you to love and honour me. So here is my son who will show you exactly how. See how he spends time with me. See how he prays to me passionately. See how he knows and loves my word and scriptures. See how passionately he talks about me and he brings glory to my name. That's what I want you to be like. This is how it's done. I want you to love each other. So here's my son, the most loving human being you could ever, ever meet. See how he builds relationship with his friends. See how he sows good things into them. See how he encourages, them and encourages his friends and challenges them in equal measure. God says, I want you to reach out to the neediest and the most excluded people in society look at my son see how my son heals the sick and diseased see how he spends time with people who are the most hated the most excluded the most downtrodden see how he feeds the hungry see how he honors and blesses the poor and the rich see how he forgives those who are in huge sin that's what i want you to be like that's the pattern i'm fleshing it out for you and I want you to know me. But you can't because your sin gets in the way. I'm holy, God says, and you are sinful. We can't coexist peacefully. I need to deal with your sin. So here's my son. He's going to live a perfect life. And then he's going to take your punishment for you. The punishment I should be giving you for your sin. He's going to take that upon himself. And then you can know me. Believe in him. Pretty incredible, isn't it? We have a saying in Liverpool when something's hard to take in, that is wrecking the head. Sometimes it's used as an annoyance. Oh, it's wrecking my head, man. But for me, I'm like, oh, that is just that's just wrecking my head. Like just trying to get my head around this. Well, there's more. In fact, we're going to look at three things about incarnation which wreck my head in a good way, in a way that I'm like, oh, how can this even be? This is incredible. So the first thing is this: the first head wrecker. Is that incarnation was always God's plan. Always. This was not God's last ditch attempt after everything else had failed to save people. 
It wasn't just an invention of God who suddenly turned up 2,000 years ago on earth as a last resort. No, if we look back at John, verses 1 to 5, it says this about Jesus. This is the word he's talking about here is Jesus. In the beginning, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of, light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word in that passage is Jesus. In Greek, it's the Logos. And note what it says. It doesn't say, in the beginning was God, and then later he created the word because things got a bit messy and he wanted to sort things out. No, in the beginning was the word. Jesus has always existed with God. He was present and active in creation. In fact, Jesus speaks to this in a shocking way later on in John when he's challenged uh, and he's having an argument with some Pharisees and scribes. And and John says, look, your father Abraham rejoiced the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And the guy turned around to him and said, look, you're, you're not even 50 years old with him. And you're saying you've seen Abraham? Abraham existed thousands of years before you. How can you stand here and say that you know what Abraham was saying and thinking about you? Jesus says, very truly I tell you, and here's those words again, before Abraham was born, I am. Wow. Before Abraham was born, I am. Understand the shock that would have given to the people who were listening to him. So much so that as soon as he uttered those words, they picked up stones to throw at him. Because they thought, this is blasphemy. How can you say this? What are you saying to us? This is so important, guys, that we understand that Jesus is not an afterthought. He's not a desperate response when all else has failed. It's not God saying, I've had enough of this. I've got no option left. I've got to do this because that's the only thing I can do. No. Our God is a God who, from the word dot, the day dot, has been intent on saving his people. He wanted to be in relationship with you and me right from the start. And all along, he had a perfect plan in place to achieve it. It was even prophesied in the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus, when you look back through the Old Testament, he fulfills something like 300 different prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus. It was always coming. It was always going to happen. God knew exactly what he was doing. One of those famous is Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's Jesus prophesied hundreds of years before he came to earth. Our relationship with God was planned infinitely long ago. And we live in this plan. We've talked many times about Psalm 103, famous words about how God knits us together in our mother's womb. Beautiful phrase, beautiful words. But here we learn that actually it doesn't just start in the womb. God had a plan to save us and planned our days way before the womb, way before we ever ever even existed. God knew all along that we would let him down. He knew all along that we'd rebel and we'd go against him, but he always had this perfect plan to ensure that we could know him and be in relation with him. That wrecks my head. The God of all creation, the God who flung stars into space, who made the mountains and the sea, 
the universe, that same God, was so passionate about me and about you. That from the start, he planned to send his own son to live and to die in our messed up, broken world so that we could be with him forever. That is amazing. Head wrecking. That's the first thing. The second thing, the second head wrecker, is that Jesus knew what incarnation would cost him. He knew. And yet he did it obediently. You know, Jesus, again, from the start, he knew that one day he would be called to leave heaven and come to earth. And he did it absolutely obediently. He traded in the splendor and the majesty and the, com- the comfort of heaven to come to earth's filth and be a willing and passionate servant. If you look at Philippians, Philippians 2, verses 6 onwards, this is part of a, a hymn. This is actually a hymn that the, the early church used to sing. The second part of it says this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, so the first part, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and, he f- and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself he became obedient, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is overwhelming and humbling in so many ways. Jesus has it all. Jesus is God. He's in heaven from the start. He's involved in creation. He's got everything up there. He's surrounded by splendor. He's dwelling in perfection with his Father. He's loved and worshipped and honoured in heaven. It's a great gig, to be honest. And he knows all about earth. He created it. He knows that down there are gazillions of people through the ages who he has helped to create. And he knows that every single one of them is an ungrateful, low-down scumbag who have let him down unbelievably. Not a single one of those people has ever or will ever manage to live a life of obedience and holiness that will honour him or his father. Not a single one of us has ever deserved anything but judgment and punishment for the fact that we've rejected God. And yet Jesus knows that God has a plan. And even though he knows that not a single human being has ever, has ever been deserving of his mercy and forgiveness, Jesus wants to have a relationship restored with them. That's what he wants. That's what God wants. And, and so his plan, God's plan is that Jesus, his son, will leave that amazing place of glory and perfection and become human. And the thought alone for Jesus, that could not have been an attractive thought. I wouldn't have fancied that if I was Jesus. Really? You want me to go there? You think of Jonah when he was sent to Nineveh by God and he ran in the opposite direction. You can kind of forgive almost Jesus feeling like that. Add to the plan that not only does he know he's got to go to earth and live in the the filth and the muck of what humanity has created, but he also knows that the plan involves Jesus being betrayed by his best friends and then brutally executed for doing nothing wrong at all. Can you imagine that being quite a hard sell for God to Jesus? But the son decided that this was an excellent plan. Despite the horrendous cost to himself. And he went along with it willingly and obediently. 
And as that Philippians quote says, uh, in, the, in, the new, in, the, in the New International Version, which is up there, it says he, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, you know, he could have chosen, I'm God, I'm sovereign. I can just say, no, I'm not going. But he didn't choose that. In fact, one of the, I think one of the other translations says he didn't, ex- he didn't see it as something to grasp, something to be clung onto, something, to, something that he had to keep. He didn't want, I haven't got to keep this heavenly status for myself. I'm going to hold that loosely and let it go. I'm going to become humble and I'm going to serve. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. He made himself nothing. That verse 7, he made himself nothing. The Greek word is kenosis and it means to empty yourself, to literally just give up what's inside and be left with nothing. And that's what Jesus did. He put it all down for you and for me. It wasn't forced on him. God did not force Jesus to do this. Jesus went willingly and obediently, taking on the very nature of a servant and becoming obedient to death. The eternal son volunteered to die so that we could know his father. He became the God-man, fully human, fully God. And being the God-man, being, having that 100% Godness in him, meant that he was able to be perfect. He was able to be unblemished. He was able to live a life that was perfect and pleasing to God, which was necessary to be a perfect sacrifice, to pay for our sin. And being human, that meant that he could shed his blood. The Old Testament sacrifice, rituals and routines, it was all about shedding blood to atone for sin. The blood had to be shed. Well, Jesus' blood was the blood that was shed for our sin. And it was acceptable because he's perfect. And he did it willingly. Wrecks my head. Why would he do that for me? Why would he do that for you? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. The third head-wrecking thing is that incarnation means that God completely understands our mess. Completely understands Incarnation tells us that God is not some distant, unfeeling, finger-pointing, harshly judging ogre. He doesn't sit in an ivory tower, firing down lightning bolts and judging and punishing his people who he doesn't understand. He's not like that. There's an old saying, not a biblical saying, but an old saying, before you criticise someone, walk a mile in their shoes. It's got a measure of truth to it. How often have you felt angry towards God or upset because you feel he's distant and you feel that he doesn't understand what you're going through. Oh God, why are you doing this? I don't understand. You don't get it. You don't get it how bad I'm feeling. You don't understand what's happening. I was talking before about free to be and the help that can be when when people with mental health difficulties talk to someone else who has a mental health difficulty. You know, those conversations are so valuable. When I was struggling with it myself, I'd spoken to lots of people who hadn't had mental health difficulties and they just couldn't get their head around it. And I'd speak to them and I was, I was trying to articulate what I was feeling and they just, you know, all you could get was chin up or read this Bible verse, you'll feel better or, you know, all those sort of things which, you know, well-meaning, well-intended, but they didn't grasp the depth of, of pain that I was feeling with, with the illness I had. And it wasn't until I spoke to, I actually spoke to Nick um, and he just had an understanding an understanding of exactly how I felt. 
I spoke to other people who just like, you know what, I, I feel that too, and I understand it. And there's something, something that you can only get from speaking to someone else who's been there that helps you to get through it. And that accusation of you don't understand, you haven't walked in my shoes, you don't know what I'm going through, that is not something we can ever level at God. Never. Because through the incarnation, we see the ultimate proof that we have a loving and active and involved and empathizing God. Literally, a God who is down to earth. God has walked a mile in our shoes and then some through his son, Jesus. Are you feeling lonely this morning? Well, Jesus knew solitude. Jesus knew loneliness. He spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying and being tempted. He was abandoned by his friends at his most difficult hours of his life when he was going to be, to be tried and tested and, and judged. His friends ran a mile. Jesus knew loneliness. Are you feeling depressed? Are you despairing? I mean, Jesus despaired. Jesus was anguished to the point where he sweated blood in the Garden of Gethsemane as he considered what was about to happen to him, as he prepared to go to his final judgment. He knew despair. He knew anxiety. Are you feeling rejected? Do you feel like God doesn't understand your rejection? Well, try standing in front of a huge crowd while they bay for you to be crucified while screaming for a murderer to be released in your place. Try that for rejection. Try hanging on a cross, dying in excruciating pain, slowly and tortuously, whilst crowd of, crowds of people mock you and spit at you and divide your belongings. That's rejection. God knows it. Jesus knows it. Are you feeling poor? Do you feel like you're impoverished, you haven't got the money you need to get through life? And you feel like, God, could, God doesn't understand this. Why does he bless other people and doesn't bless me? He doesn't know what it's like to, be, to feel poor. Jesus knew poverty. Jesus walked the wilds of, of Palestine. With, one place it says he's got no place to lay his head. Didn't have a home. He slept rough with his, with his disciples. He knew what it was like to live without a home, without the comforts and the trappings. He knew what it was like to leave splendor and come to dirt. He was born in a, <laughs> a squalid stable. Do you feel tired? Do you feel desperate for a break? Do you feel like you just wish people would just leave you alone? That life is so busy. I'm looking at my wife here. Um, do you feel like life is just so packed and busy that you just want to be left alone? And if only, if only God understood but I have a capacity limit and I just need some space. God doesn't understand. He's infinite. He knows what to do. Well, Jesus was hounded throughout his ministry and followed by crowds and crowds of thousands of people who were just demanding miracles, demanding healing, demanding arguments, leveling accusations at him. You know, at times you see stories of him trying to withdraw, trying to get in a boat and just cross a, cross a lake to just get away, to get some space. Jesus knew what it was like to be tired and to be maxed out and to need, need that space. Are you grieving today? Do you feel God can't understand your loss? Jesus knew grief. He experienced intense pain. He lost loved ones. 
he, when he wept bitterly, Jesus wept. That shortest verse in the Bible, when he finds out, you know, sees the fact that Lazarus, his friend, has died. Jesus knew it. Jesus understands. God understands that pain. Do you feel like you're being betrayed? Someone's let you down. Someone's really upset you, sinned against you in an awful way that you just really struggle to come to terms with. Jesus knew betrayal. Try having one of your closest friends, one of your followers, one of those people who's walked with you for all those years who then sells you for a low price into the hands of the enemy, as Judas did. Jesus knew betrayal. Even physical pain. Is your body hurting? Is your body tired? Are there things wrong with you that need to be fixed? And you say, God, you don't understand the pain I'm in. Jesus knew pain. <laughs> Jesus knew pain. Try being whipped and scourged. Try having a, a crown of thorns on your head. Try having nails driven through your, your ankles and wrists. Spear thrust through your side. Jesus knows. He knows your pain. If you feel like you're suffering injustice, like there's something happening in your life which just isn't fair, God, this isn't fair. What You don't understand what's happening. <coughs> Jesus knew injustice on this earth. He was put to death for committing no crime at all. He was sentenced to death for doing nothing wrong. Are you struggling with temptation this morning? Are there things in your life that are leading you to do things that you know shouldn't be done? Things that you know are getting in the way of, of you and God. Are you tempted to sin? Tempted to repeat old habits? You're tempted to do bad things? Choices that you shouldn't make? Jesus knew temptation. He knew it. He spent 40 days in the desert and then the devil came to him as a snake and threw temptation before him. And he resisted. But he knew that feeling of temptation. The Bible tells us Jesus has been tempted in every way like we have. To me, this is absolutely head-wrecking, isn't it? Every possible thing we go through as a human being, every single thing that is difficult, even the good things that we go through, Jesus has been there. In any other religion, in any other walk of life, you will not find someone like Jesus. There is no God in Islam who comes to earth and experiences our pain. There isn't. There is no God in in, in, in Judaism, where God comes to earth and knows our pain and experiences it and dies for it. There's no God in Buddhism which does that. There's no God in any other religion like Jesus. And it's absolutely sensational and head-wrecking. But oh, my word, thank you, Lord. So as we close this morning, it's just a couple of things just to, just to think about. There's a phrase I hear often, both from Christians and non-Christians, people that I speak to, who will say to me, I'm just waiting for God to reveal himself. I just need him to show me something. I want to believe in him. I want to trust him. I want to trust him on this or that. I want him to break through into my life. But he's just not there. And this morning, I just, just want to remind you, he already has. He already has broken through. And we've got it all here 
written about in the words of scripture. Jesus has come and he's broken through into this world. He's broken through into this life in the most powerful and empathetic and sensitive and beautiful way possible. Whatever you're going through, it's been gone through by Jesus and he knows it. He knows the pain. He knows the difficulties. It's not news to him. So I want to say that to you this morning. If you're feeling that way, God, I just, I just want God to break through in my life. I want to know him, but I don't know him. I encourage you, you can know him. He's right here. He's right here. And you can know him now. And then as we, as we worship, as the banker come up, whatever we're struggling with this morning, whatever it is you're going through this morning, we're going to worship God because we've got to take it to him. Because he knows. He understands. He came to earth to live and die and conquer everything that we go through. And whatever you're feeling this morning, whatever circumstance, whatever emotion, whatever pain, whatever good thing that you're feeling this morning, you are not on your own. You are loved and wanted and cared for and understood by the most wonderful God. The God who came to earth and lived and died and sacrificed himself for us. Isn't that incredible? I hope your heads are as wrecked as mine because <laughs> it's incredible truth. And I want us to stand now. We're just going to worship God. And if there's anything, anything that you would like prayer for, please come and speak to us. Um, I'll be here down the front or I can move to the back and just see who's with you. There'll be people who want to pray. If there's something this morning that you're just thinking, God, that's just been so difficult. And I don't feel like God gets it. I don't feel like he understands I want to pray with you this morning because he does and he's with you and he loves you and we're going to we'll, we'll minister to you this morning let's stand please and let's let's worship God